Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast. I am your host, Erin Yunker, pediatric sleep consultant and owner of The Happy Sleep Company. Today is Q&A Tuesday. I've pulled out the top five questions of the week, but I got a little bit more organized than usual for you this week. So I pulled out five questions and I actually ordered them from youngest to oldest. So you have a little more structure to your Q&A Tuesday this week. I got organized. So let's dive in. We'll start with a question about a four-month-old. It is this. My baby is four months and often sleeps through the night, but my doctor says she's not quite ready to go the night without a feed. She's not quite on her curve. This mom means her growth curve, her weight. Would this be a case for a dream feed? How does that work? So this is a really good question, and this is actually the perfect case for what we call a dream feed. First thing I want to do is define what a dream feed is. A lot of parents will say to me, you know, my baby wakes around midnight and I do a dream feed. That's not really a dream feed in my books because if your baby wakes up, we're not doing a dream feed. We're feeding the baby when she wakes up. A dream feed means you do it in the baby's sleep. There's no problem feeding your baby when they wake up if that's still what you're needing or wanting to do, but that's not a dream feed. When we're talking about a dream feed, we're talking about going in and feeding baby without them waking up at any point and then putting them back in their crib still asleep after the feed. That's a true dream feed. When would I recommend a dream feed? This mom's scenario is the perfect scenario. I'm not always a huge fan of a dream feed in a lot of other scenarios. So if a baby is at the point where the parents are feeling like maybe she could go through the night without a feed, we want to see if she could go through the night without a feed, then I would say, okay, well, let's feed the baby if she wakes up, but let's not do a dream feed because then we'll never know when baby's really ready to go the night without a feed because we're just going in and feeding her in her sleep without her asking for it. So let's just feed baby if she wakes up for it. And if she doesn't, then she's showing us she's ready to sleep through the night. In this mom's scenario, she's saying her baby's already trying to sleep through the night. She is sleeping through the night, but the doctor is saying that the baby actually needs to have a feed overnight. The doctor doesn't want mom to let baby sleep through. So this is the perfect case for a dream feed. Because if we do a dream feed with this child, the idea is there's no sleep crutch. There's no chance that we're creating a dependency on feeding in order for this baby to get back to sleep when she wakes up in the night if we do the feed while she's sleeping and she never wakes up during it. So here's what I recommend if you want or need to do a dream feed like this. I would wait until about 2.30 in the morning. I would let your baby have that nice, big, long, deep stretch of sleep earlier in the night and into the morning. And then at 2.30 in the morning, if your baby hasn't woken up for a feed and you do need to do an overnight feed for reasons like this, because your baby's not quite where they need to be on their growth curve yet, then at 2.30, you go in and you do the dream feed. You try to keep things super dark and quiet so baby doesn't actually wake up during the feed. Try to get the job done without any light or with very minimal light and then put baby back into the crib still asleep. Now, 
If your baby happens to wake up during the dream feed, then I recommend that you keep baby awake for the rest of the feed. Because at this point, baby is aware that a breast or bottle is in their mouth. They're aware that a feed is happening. And to avoid it becoming a sleep crutch, we don't want baby to fall back asleep on the feed. We want baby to stay awake and go back into the crib awake with their eyes open and use their own sleep skills to get back to sleep instead of feeding back to sleep because that's how sometimes it can become a little bit of a crutch. So dream feed, we stay asleep. If baby wakes up on it, then we try to keep them awake on it at that point. That's sort of the definition of a dream feed and when I would do a dream feed. One of the most common questions I get about the dream feed is why I recommend 2.30 a.m. instead of, say, 10 or 11 p.m. A lot of parents who are wanting to do a dream feed are wanting to do it around 10 or 11 before the parents go to bed because then the parents don't necessarily have to get up in the night to do the feed. They can do it before they go to bed. Yes, that's more convenient, but if you think about it, a lot of babies who still need dream feeds are quite young, and young infants still have quite late bedtimes. If we're doing a dream feed for, in this case, this four-month-old, this four-month-old some nights might not go to bed until 8, 8.30. That's a normal bedtime for a four-month-old. So if baby hasn't gone to bed until 8.30 and then we're already trying to do a dream feed at 10 p.m., they're not in a super deep stage of sleep yet. And we may actually end up waking them more easily during the dream feed and then it's not really a dream feed anymore. So that's why I recommend later into the night, 2.30 in the morning. I also don't recommend we do that feed later than 2.30 in the morning because if we're getting into 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning when we do a feed, we are often throwing off baby's daytime nutrition. So if we feed at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and baby goes back to sleep for another hour or two, then when they wake up for the day, they're not really hungry. They're not really ready to start their day with a good feed and now daytime nutrition is a little bit thrown off. So this is why if you're doing a dream feed, I recommend it have around 2.30 in the morning. Let's move on to the next question. This one, we're bumping up those ages. Remember, I promised you some more structure to today's Q&A. This one is about an eight-month-old. So my eight-month-old goes down on his own for naps and bedtime and sleeps through the night with one feed around 4 a.m., but his naps are always short. Any ideas about why? I went back and forth with this mom a little bit in our DMs on Instagram to get a little more information and learned that this eight-month-old baby is a super healthy weight, no growth, health, or weight concerns. So this baby goes down independently, no pacifier, no rocking or feeding to sleep for naps, for bedtime, and sleeps through the night with just that one feed around 4 a.m., but his naps are always short. It's very likely that the reason for the short naps is the 4 a.m. feed. And that might sound odd and it might sound like they should be unrelated, but let me explain why. I would suggest that a healthy eight-month-old baby who has no growth, weight, or health concerns can do the night without a feed. So if we're still doing a feed every night for an eight-month-old who is that healthy weight, it's probably more of a sleep crutch than something the baby needs from a nutritional perspective. And always remember that every baby is an individual and you can check in with your doctor about weight and growth before you decide to drop overnight feeds always, if you have any concerns or questions about that. But in my experience, a healthy eight-month-old can go through the night without a feed. So if we're offering the feed at 4 a.m., we're offering kind of a sleep crutch. We don't necessarily need this to get through the night. 
from a nutritional perspective, we need this to get back to sleep because that's this habitual crutch that we've gotten used to. It's very common that babies will have longer stretches of sleep in the first part of the night and then be much more likely to wake and have more trouble getting back to sleep or need sleep crutches to get back to sleep between about 3 and 6 a.m. This is when we are all in our lightest stage of sleep, adults and babies too. And so it's harder to get back to sleep if we wake up at that time. And that's why this eight-month-old might wake up and stir a little bit around midnight and go back to sleep independently, but is always looking for some extra help to get back to sleep at 4 a.m. when they wake in that lighter stage of sleep. So because this baby uses a sleep crutch at 4 a.m. to get back to sleep when it's harder, he's probably also looking for a sleep crutch to get back to sleep in other times when it's harder to get back to sleep. That's naps. That's where we're getting the short naps. Baby is going down independently for the nap, but around 30 to 45 minutes into the nap, he's in a lighter stage of sleep. He's waking a little bit and he's saying, hey, wait a minute. It's harder for me to get back to sleep right now. I'm still tired. I need more sleep, but it's harder now than it was 45 minutes ago because I have less sleep pressure. And sometimes when it's hard for me to get back to sleep, i.e. at 4 a.m., you come help me get back to sleep with a feed. So I'm going to look for that sleep crutch right now too. And if it's not offered, or maybe even if it is, I'm just done and I'm not going back to sleep at this point. So that's why with sleep coaching, when we're ready and able to remove all of the sleep crutches, we do. Because naps and nights are not unrelated. And if we're still offering a sleep crutch at some point in the 24 hours of the day, baby will often look for that same sleep crutch at other points in that 24 hours in the day. And it can cause other problems with sleep that you thought were unrelated. So that 4 a.m. feed may actually be causing the short naps. Once we're able to get baby sleeping through the night, we're probably going to see longer naps from that baby because when they wake up at that 30 to 45 minute mark, they're not looking for a sleep crutch because you've removed the sleep crutch from the 4 a.m. situation. And now baby just knows how to go to sleep independently in all situations, whether it's four in the morning or 45 minutes into a nap. Next question, moving up in ages again, is about a 14-month-old. My 14-month-old is doing well on two naps per day, but he's starting daycare in a couple of weeks and they want him to have one nap. Any suggestions about how to manage this? Yes, I have two suggestions about how to manage this. First of all, you're going to need to do a really early bedtime at first when your baby drops to one nap because most babies do best with two naps a day until about 16 to 18 months of age. So anytime a baby drops to one nap per day earlier than 16 to 18 months, I recommend that parents put that baby in bed every night at 6 p.m. That might sound monstrously early to some of you, and some of you are like, no, no, I get it, we already do that, but 6 p.m. is not too early for a 14-month-old who's only had one nap that day. It's better to get your baby to bed early before they get super, super overtired rather than trying to stretch them to like a 7, 7.30 bedtime when they're only 14 months and have only had one nap that day. You're likely to see harder bedtimes, harder nights, and earlier wake-ups if baby goes down super overtired or starts to build up sleep debt. So to combat sleep debt and overtiredness, we do an early bedtime for a while. And then probably for this child who's 14 months, in a couple of months, they'll be able to handle more like a 6.30, 7 o'clock bedtime on that one nap schedule. 
once they're closer to the 16 to 18 month mark and they've had some time to adjust to a one nap schedule. The other thing you can consider if your child needs to go down to one nap early because of a daycare schedule, but still seems to do best on two naps is to do two naps at home on the weekends or whatever days your child is not in daycare. Some children will respond really well to this. Some children will take their one nap at noon every day, Monday to Friday at their daycare, and then be totally fine to get back on a more age-appropriate schedule with two naps in the day on weekends. And that can be a great way to sort of catch your child up on a proper schedule on the weekends before they go back to daycare on Monday morning. However, Some children's body clocks get quickly used to just going down at the same time every day. So for some children, the two naps on the weekend might not work because their body clock will say, what is happening? It's only 9.30 in the morning and you're trying to put me down for a nap. My body clock has gotten used to just going down at noon every day at daycare. So I can't go to sleep now at 9.30 in the morning. And in that case, if your child is refusing their two naps on the weekend, you'll have to just do the one nap schedule on the weekend as well. I definitely recommend if at all possible, you do a nap at 12 p.m. and not later for a child this young if they have to be on one nap. 12.30, one o'clock is a very late nap for a young toddler on a one nap schedule. For a two and a half to three year old, 12.30, one o'clock is okay. For a 14 month old, a 16 month old, an 18 month old, 12.30, one o'clock is very late and I recommend you try to have them in the crib at noon. If your daycare does 12.30, one o'clock for your child at that age, I would still do noon, maybe 12.15 to split the difference a little bit on the weekends at home when you have more control over the schedule. Next question. Now we're getting into toddlers and preschoolers. Hi, Erin. I'm looking for some help with managing my two and a half year old's schedule. Her nap is from 12 to 2 p.m. Bedtime is 7.15, 7.30. Lately, she's taking a very long time to fall asleep for her nap and then also not falling asleep for bedtime until close to 9 p.m. Is it time to drop her nap already? This child is only two and a half years old. It's probably not time to drop her nap yet, but it is probably time to make some tweaks to her schedule. Most children are ready to drop their naps somewhere between three and four years of age. Some children can successfully drop their nap at two and a half years and not be overtired, but most children who drop their nap this early are going to be pretty overtired. So we want to persevere, adjust the schedule and still work on the nap when we're only two and a half in most situations. So this child is going down at noon. And this is a good segue from the previous question, because in the previous question for the 14 month old, I said that child should be going down at noon. They'll be overtired if they go down later. But for this question, we're talking about a two and a half year old. A lot of two and a half year olds will take a long time to fall asleep if you try to put them down at noon. So I would be waking this child up by about seven o'clock in the morning at the latest so that we preserve enough sleep pressure for nap time. And then I would probably do nap closer to 1230 for a two and a half year old who is starting to take a long time to fall asleep for their midday nap. So nap at two at 1230. And normally, if we're two and a half years old and we're starting to have troubles with bedtime, I wouldn't just get rid of the nap altogether right away. I would cap the nap a little shorter. So for a two and a half year old who's having troubles with bedtime, I would normally cap the nap at an hour and a half to start. This child is having a two hour nap. And then it's probably because of that, that she's taking a long time to fall asleep at bedtime. 
two and a half years old, let's cap the nap at an hour and a half max. And then this child is going to bed around 7.15, 7.30. Normally at two and a half years old, if we're having a good hour and a half long nap, bedtime could be 7.30, quarter to eight, possibly even eight o'clock. Especially as we get closer to three years of age, bedtime can be closer to eight o'clock if the child is having a good hour and a half nap. So keep that in mind. Your child's schedule is going to change. An 18-month-old could take a three-hour nap and still go to bed around 7, 7.15. But a two-and-a-half-year-old doesn't need quite as much sleep, especially not in the day. So we probably need to push the nap a little bit later, more like 12.30. We need to cap it a little shorter, like an hour and a half. And then we need to push the bedtime a little later, like 7.30, quarter to 8, maybe even 8 o'clock for a child at that age. Last question for today is about a kindergartner. My four-year-old has started getting up around 5 or 5.30 in the morning and playing quietly in her room until the sun comes up on her wake-up clock at 6 a.m. Do you have any suggestions about this? I do. First of all, what's a wake-up clock? Most of you already know, especially if you follow us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company or listen to this podcast on a regular basis, but a wake-up clock is something we use for older children, preschoolers, kindergartners, to help them visually understand when it's time to be sleeping and when it's okay to get up and start the day. Because they're not great with clocks and numbers yet, we use this visual representation. So the grow clock is a really popular one. It turns blue at bedtime and it stays blue through the night and then it turns yellow when it's okay to get up and most of us as parents set that for about 6 a.m. or maybe a little later and let your child know that it's okay to get up when the clock is yellow. This four-year-old is getting up around 5, 5.30 and playing quietly in her room. So this is a parental decision. Some parents will say, I don't really care that my child gets up at 5 in the morning and plays in her room as long as she does not come out and wake me up until the clock is yellow at six o'clock or 6.30 or whatever you've set it for. But here's my take on that. If a child understands the wake-up clock and understands that they are not to be getting up for the day until the clock is yellow, but then around 5, 5.30 in the morning, they get up and start playing and waiting for the clock to turn yellow, they're not encouraging their body to get all the rest that it needs. So if we tell our child, that's totally fine that you get up and you play whenever you want, as long as you don't come out and yell and make noise and get me until the clock is yellow, we're potentially robbing our little ones of quite a bit of sleep. Because if your child wakes up at any point in the night or in that later stage of sleep at five in the morning and looks at the clock and sees that it's not time to get up yet and knows that the rule is you stay in bed quietly until the clock is yellow, that encourages your child to go back to sleep when they still need more rest. And they very likely still need more rest at five o'clock in the morning. So they wake up, they look at the clock, they know the rule, they're to stay in bed quietly until the clock is yellow, and then they close their eyes and hopefully go back to sleep and get some more rest. Just like we do when we wake up and see five o'clock on our clock and realize we get to go back to sleep and have more rest now. However, If the child's understanding of the clock is that they just have to be quiet and in their room until it turns yellow, 
it encourages them to get up whenever they want during the night or at five o'clock in the morning and play with their dolls or play with Lego on the floor until the clock turns yellow and then be really, really exhausted by 10 o'clock in the morning because they've been up since 5 a.m. and they should have actually gone back to sleep. So this is why when you're using a wake-up clock, my recommendation is that the rules around it are that the child stay in bed quietly working on sleeping until the clock changes color rather than you can get up whenever you want as long as you don't come get me until the clock changes color. Those are my thoughts on it. Again, as a parent, you can choose to use the clock however you want. Another important point about that clock is that I do recommend you set it for 6 a.m. and not later. Most children who sleep well and sleep through the night, or even if they don't sleep well or sleep through the night, most children are up and ready to start the day anytime past 6 a.m. So if we set the wake-up clock for 6 a.m. and the child wakes up at 5.45, 5.55, we've set them up for success. They don't have to wait in their bed very long before the clock turns yellow and they're able to get up and start the day and then they've succeeded and they've done what you asked and they've stayed in their bed until the clock changed color. If we set the clock for 6.30 in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning and your child wakes up at 6.02, that's a really long time for them to have to wait for the clock to change color. And we're not really setting them up for success because it's likely that they're not going to be able to be patient for that long and they're going to end up yelling out and coming to your room before the clock changes color. And then the idea around the clock is kind of lost because they lose interest in following the rules of the clock because it's so hard for them to achieve what you're asking them to achieve with the clock. So set it for 6 a.m. So you set them up for success. That way, if they're up close to 6 a.m., it's not that hard for them to achieve this, staying in their bed quietly until the clock changes color. If they sleep past 6 a.m., then that's fine. The clock is not going to wake them up. It's not an alarm clock. It just changes color. If your child is still sleeping at 6 and the clock turns yellow, that's okay. They'll just keep sleeping. And when they finally wake up, they will see that it's yellow and they can get up and start their day. So those are my recommendations around the wake-up clock. All of this stuff is always a parental decision. We don't all parent the same way. We don't all have the same ideas around our parenting style, whether we are dealing with babies or toddlers or preschoolers or teenagers. But these are some ideas you can keep in mind if you're trying to put some of these sleep tools in place that may help out if you're struggling with certain elements of your child's sleep. I hope this week was helpful for everyone. I hope this top five Q&A for this week is something that you could pull some pieces of information out of and say, you know what, that really applies to my situation and I'm going to put that in place in the future or that's something to think about if we ever run into those issues down the road. Thanks for tuning in again to Sleep Cues and have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company, and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com, for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.